We can talk about anything you want as Jake is ignorant. Hello? Okay. All right. It, it looks like it's getting us. Pop my peas and my pulses. Pulses are a problem. <laughs> so I, I, if we wanted to look into it, so like there's a, so uh, there's already a DSer going. <laughs> DSer? Yeah. What's a DSer? So it it kind of filters out like um, certain frequencies associated with it. Oh. Um, Can you filter out my idiocy? <laughs> <laughs> I've already tried that. I, I wish there was like a live streaming option, you know, where it just did that for me. But when it detects my voice, it should just chop it out. Background noise. <laughs> but you know, in the future, if you want to get a little bit more complicated, we could always put any real time thing in. And this is just a, a note, you know, like I got this nice piece of equipment. I just never use it even close to its capabilities, which that's on me for being dumb like that. <laughs> oh my! Uh, yeah, my buddy's got a. Uh, what's it called? It's a series of buttons that are just for streaming. Like it's intended for streaming. Uh-huh. Uh, shoot. What's that called? What's that thing called? But anyway, like streamers, oh. uh, something deck. Streamer stream deck, deck, I think. Yeah. Elgato stream deck. Stream deck. Yeah. 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 That mic placement's not great for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. All right, Missy. Can I catch you without your growling? Your growling makes me nervous, little girl. It's weird. I don't understand. Yeah. It does take a little bit of getting used to with her. <laughs> you you kind of usually only see like the side of her, you know, that's outside and playing, you know, but she, she's kind of been a complicated dog. If I'm being honest, <laughs> well, as long as she's consistent then you can, you know, learn the rules and do the right thing by her. Whatever yeah. That is. How's that sound? Yeah. Sounds good. You know, yep, like, yep. When I recorded it the other day and I played myself back, it's so weird to hear yourself. Like, I sound totally different in the recording that I did than how I, I hear myself in everyday talking. But yeah. It's just something I got to get used to. Yeah. No, it sounds like you. I'm I'm here to testify from outside your own brain that uh, <laughs> it sounds like you on the mic. It's a good mic, though. Yeah. I mean, yours sounds good, too. Like, your your voice in my headphones right now sounds just like you, so... Hey, boom. Yeah. We are recording accurately. Are, are we are we recording? <laughs> yeah, we are. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh so when that plays back, it plays back clean now? Yeah, it does. Well, okay. I tested it. If you want to test it out right now, no, I can if, stop it and If you got it. it, you got it. Yeah. So all right. You want me to do my intro thing and we'll just jump in or what do you want to do? Or do you okay, want to follow an outline or Oh, go ahead. Do. do your do your intro thing. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to Jay Flance's Ignorance. This is episode I have no idea what number it is. I'm, are you anonymous or are we using your name? or what Oh, go ahead. Yeah, use my name. Okay. So I'm here with uh, Chris Hoover, who's my next door neighbor. And um, we've I've been living here for about eight months. And he and I run our dogs in the backyard like twice a day, every day. <laughs> and we have a very challenging dog adoption that I blame Chris for. Um, yeah, as you should. As you should. <laughs> so Chris... <laughs> Uh, what's that called? You were uh, fostering, right? Yep. So we we have a, a a dog named Huey. Now his name is Huey, and he was uh, being fostered next door with with Chris. And uh, you know, I've had dogs my whole life. I've got a big dog tattoo on my left arm, <laughs> and I thought I understood dogs, you know. And uh, yeah, we picked up, we did all the paperwork and long story, blah blah blah. So now we have Huey. He is a super high energy, crazy dog, and. Um, 
long, many long stories there. But yeah, Chris and I, you're, you're probably my best friend now, but I spend more time with you physically than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, so. that's probably, that's true. I mean, same goes for you too, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you can deny it if you want, but that's, I think, how best friendship works. Yeah, but, I mean, I agree. <laughs> and we, we talk a lot, I think, in the backyard about all kinds of stuff. And I, what my take on this, you know, correct me, stop me, whatever, is that you and I, we seem to come at something, at, at political things, from a very different angle. Like, a, a lot of times, your initial response to something and my initial response to something are are pretty opposite. And then I think what we've done over the several months is we've tried to kind of dig into the details of, wow, okay, well, we seem to disagree on this. Like, where are we actually disagreeing? And the process that I always use for this, which, you know, drives my brother crazy, is I'll use these extreme examples on the outliers of the edges of some issue. And I'll try to figure out, okay, well, what if we, you, what about this scenario? Like, what in this extreme case do we agree here? Because I'm trying to find, like, the common ground <clears throat> of where we definitely agree because then we can work from that point towards, you know, wherever it is that we disagree, if we disagree. And you and I, I think, have had a hard time finding places where we disagree on any details, on any specific actual event, like anything that's that I can actually pin down into an actual real-world scenario yeah. where we actually disagree. And I, I found that very uh, enlightening, I think, because I think you and I come at things from a very – uh, different kind of like high level labeling perspective on our politics. And yet when I try to figure out, well, where are our actual differences where we're uh, disagreeing on something, I can't seem to find it. And, uh, you know, I think with only a couple of different examples, I think we've found a place where it's like, oh, okay, under this scenario, maybe one of us is going to change our minds now. Um, <laughs> is that, <laughs> what's your take on our, uh, the months that we've spent in the backyard uh, bullshitting while running dogs. Uh, you, you know, I think I've tried to nail that down a lot of times. I think one way in which a, a lot of times I think where I, where we kind of disagree, I think is in like an abstract nature, but I agree that we tend to always disagree or we uh, always tend to agree when it comes down to specific examples. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, uh, we probably disagree on like, um, how to get to those points, but a lot of times we, at the end of the day, come together. So I think that where we may disagree is I tend to give emphasis to individuals and individual rights. And I would, uh, my impression is that you're kind of more of a utilitarian. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times I think we do come to the same conclusion. We just get there in different ways a lot of times. Yeah. So I, I self label, I think, as a, a uh, flaming liberal um, left <laughs> nut job who is anarcho curious. I'm curious about anarchy and communism, and you know I'm curious about everything on the left and trying to figure out okay, well, if those things could work, uh, and my definition of work I think comes from utilitarianism, the John Stuart Mill stuff, and you know we, you and I have talked about the holes in that thing and. Uh, all the problems that can arise from that. But yeah, I, I come at a thing, I think, when I'm 
being political, which is almost never like with you is the only person I discuss politics with. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I come at a thing from a very left perspective of, um, you know, the people that I'm working with downtown every weekend and wanting to make sure that they have uh, uh, all of their basic needs met while at the same time, of course, I'm frustrated with specific individuals down there and the fact that they could be doing a lot better for themselves and they're choosing not to some of them. Some of them are in situations where, through no fault of their own, in my opinion, they are in these dire situations where their housing is uh, uh, marginal, right? They have insecure housing, they have insecure uh, food, they have insecure medical uh, situations that aren't being treated, that aren't being taken care of. Um, you know, one one of my friends down there has racked up $2 million, I think, in medical debt from a heart transplant. Uh, he passed out in the back of my truck, you know, and I, I know that you have compassion for individuals uh, in these situations, but I come at it from like this flaming, you know, left uh, perspective of, well, you know, when you've got billionaires running around in a rich country, well, what you need to do is, you know, make sure that everybody can take can uh, have their basic needs met. And if super rich people want to have 15 Ferraris, I don't give a crap. You can have 15 Ferraris if you're super rich as long as everyone has food to eat and and housing and medical care. Nobody needs an iPhone. Like if they, if you want to have an iPhone, great. You know, go buy an iPhone, get a job, buy an iPhone or don't, you know, whatever. But there, there's kind of like this fundamental need uh, that has to be met, I think, for us to call ourselves a healthy society where we're cooperating as Americans, you know, in the collective uh, to really take care of each other, if if that's what we are, and I hope that's what we are. I hope we're you know 380 million of us, or however many there are nowadays, um, that are trying to take care of each other. You know, and so there's all these frameworks of uh, government support, and then there's these private frameworks of support that are trying to help people, but the the need is just so vast. You know, we had. 45, uh, no, 35 people, I'd say, down there this week. And, you know, so anyway, so I, I come at it from a very, you know, tax the rich, which probably includes me. Like, I'm marginally wealthy, right? Like, I'm either upper middle class or extreme lower upper class. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, you know, tax me. And I'm a gun owner who's like, take away my guns because guns are fucking dangerous, you know? <laughs> so right. I'm like an anti-gun gun owner, you know, which is, you know, so I'm full of contradictions and bullshit. But, um uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, you, you can react to any of that if you want to, or. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so I think, um, and you know, I haven't really organized this into some really well-organized thoughts, but you know, one thing I dislike about labels and even myself, I, I think that sometimes people allow labels to direct their, their decisions instead of the information that they have to direct their decisions. And what I mean by that is, is that I don't personally like to identify as a Republican, partly for religious reasons and, and partly for the fact that I don't, I don't look at something and say, well, I'm Republican, so I have to think this way about it. A lot of my economic positions are aligned with the Republican Party, but all of my... Um, I, I don't know what the other other word would be, but the non-economic side of things tend to kind of uh, on social uh, issues. Yeah, like on social issues, I kind of tend to be liberal 
at least what I've always thought was liberal until maybe the last five or 10 years or so. Mm. <laughs> and, and I, I think we've had the conversation before why I stopped going to church, right? Because, uh, the LDS church, uh, uh, took tithing money that people earned and money that they, uh, talked out, uh, people out of, like they talked, uh, uh, people out of savings that they had set aside for their children's education. And then they, they used those, that money to push proposition eight, which was, a political campaign um, to not allow gay gay marriage and that mixing of politics and religion and the active oppression of people because they felt different meant to me, I, I need to, it, if they can't even get that stuff right, what, why would I think that they have a monopoly on, uh, how can I say this, uh, a monopoly on what morality is? Yeah. So and, that being said, I sometimes I do classify people like sometimes I do refer to you as a lefty and and me as a righty. Mm. Uh, but I prefer I've, flaming libertards. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. So. <laughs> but that being said, <laughs> generally speaking, I, I I don't think that you pick things because you're labeled that way. You generally pick things because of the information that you have, and and generally I can talk to people that feel like that, right? Mm. Because I can talk to somebody that I disagree with as long as I can deal with how they got to that conclusion. <laughs> you know, like if you are a flaming lefty in the sense that uh, Nancy Pelosi was your messiah and, and you just – and you praised everything that she said because it was the gospel of Pelosi and you just took it to heart as what the way the world worked – I probably would have a hard time having a conversation with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think that comes from you know any anyone that's in a cult of whatever, um, you know, they, they get a lot of guidance from people that just tell them this is how it is, you know, mm-hmm. and this is how you should think, and therefore this is the conclusion you should come to. And whether that's <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Alex, what is wrong, man? <laughs> When your studio goes professional podcaster, you'll you'll have to uh, <laughs> talk to your dogs. Oh yeah, I know. Um, We're working on really good equipment here. I'm extremely impressed, actually, with this recording studio. <laughs> well, it wasn't sarcasm. I, I sound like a sarcastic jerk all the time. I'm, it wasn't sarcasm. I'm very uh, very jealous of all this equipment you have. <laughs> oh, okay. So Chris is Chris is now uh, grabbing the dogs. I don't know if there's something upstairs. Oh, so yeah, if um, if you haven't subscribed to the Cult of Sloth podcast, you should definitely do that. Uh, the Cult of Sloth is the name of the podcast, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But episodes uh, one and two are – oh, actually, episode one specifically is also with, with Chris. And he talks the, – the name of the episode is Losing Faith featuring Chris Hoover. And so that's a uh, 55-minute conversation where – Chris and another friend of his with a podcast that you should listen to um, talk through his leaving of the uh, LDS faith. So that's a good one. You should go check that out for sure. So I'm going to link to that podcast. Didn't He said he was going to fire it back up again, didn't he? Yeah, I think he's kind of like me in the sense that he tries to do all these projects and you have to prioritize, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and everything else seems to get a higher priority. Well, I've, I've ripped two episodes in two years now. <laughs> so this will be my third episode in the last two years. Yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, you were saying that the labels aren't helpful, but once you can actually, if, if someone is not indoctrinated into the church of whatever, where someone is telling them what to think, mm-hmm. then you can talk to just about anybody about just about anything, which I have found to be true. Like I, I dropped the, when we first were getting to know each other, and I can't remember how religion first came up, but I just dropped the thing on you, which I don't normally just drop on people like, well, I'm an atheist. So I, you know, <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, big for a lot of people, but, uh, you know, you, you didn't, uh, react, you didn't throw me out immediately from the uh, neighborhood association. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so like one way in which I try to analyze things, uh, especially when there's a difference between points of view, I try to see, well, what's the core difference between people? And, and and this is, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at with my theory that I haven't really been able to nail down. And that is that there's a core type of morality associated with each group, the left versus right. Within each group, there are different pillars that the group emphasizes. And in our, in our case, um, uh, if we take the homeless stuff, for example – that like care and fairness are pillars in that site, that sort of morality that you hold those values as important. And, um, in order to make people equal, it's important to do those charitable acts and help them get on their feet and all these different things. Um, in this one particular case of maybe the homeless. Um, so I do care about, um, care and fairness, but there's another pillar that I feel can't be ignored and that's accountability. So it's not that I don't care about these individuals or I think it's always fair, but, um, there has to be some sort of accountability in our society that gives themselves, them as individuals pushback in a lot of ways, I think that that can explain a lot of differences between each group. And I'm not even saying that one way is right and one way is wrong. But if I were to describe just that specific instance, I would say that might be, from my perspective, a difference that we share in our foundations and making those decisions. How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, let me let me give you two stories. So my... So my grandparents had a farm in very remote southeast Iowa, and when they passed, my mom was going to sell the property, but she ran into uh, a young mother uh, with a child who needed a place to stay, and so she decided to rent the farmhouse out for less than market, which rural market is very low to begin with, Mm -hmm. less than market had all kinds of problems getting her to pay rent. Like they would, the the agreement was this, that this is what she can do financially. And um, I, I feel like they went way out of their way to try to help this woman and her son and then her boyfriend. And then they wrecked the place. And I felt terrible about that because they spent two years with a situation where they weren't taking care of the property and i'm not i'm not talking about you know going way out of their way to make it spot i'm talking about knocking holes in the walls and shit you know mm-hmm. like and 
I felt and they felt that they had really been, uh, well, I shouldn't speak for them. I felt that they had um, gotten themselves into a position where this person was really taking advantage of them and was costing them, you know, a lot of money when the agreement was, no, you're going to take, you know, decent care of the property, not destroy the property (laughs) and pay extremely low rent because we're, you know, doing you this favor basically because, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts. Another example of accountability, I think, is not this week, but last week, one of the gentlemen I was helping pushes a shopping cart around and one of the wheels was coming off of the shopping cart. And I said, oh, hey, do you do you have a wrench? Because you need to see how this bolt is coming loose. This wheel is going to fall off this sharpened cart. You really need to put this on or you, if you have a wrench or something. Because I didn't have any tools on me. I, don't, I didn't carry tools with my truck that day. So um, you need to put this – you need to tighten this. Otherwise, you're not – the wheel is going to fall completely off and you're not going to have a cart anymore. And with his mobility problems, if he doesn't have a cart, he's in trouble. I mean, in terms of just being able to get stuff and get it back to his apartment. And it, it's really – that individual probably has some uh, challenges um, uh, mentally. And I'm just trying really hard to tell him, look, there is a consequence. The consequence is if you don't take the wrench – you or sorry, the pair of pliers you say you have upstairs and you don't tighten this, the wheel's going to fall off and then you're stuck. And your cart's going to get thrown away because someone's going to come along and, you know, chuck it. And that's going to be bad for you. And trying to explain that over and over and over again, just the basic level of accountability for the universe is going to do this to you, friend. <laughs> Please, you know. And and that was frustrating. I One, I couldn't do it for him because I didn't have the tool. And two, he couldn't seem to grasp that this really was important. And I've known this guy for a couple of years. And so he says that he's going to do it. He's going to do it. But <laughs> did he actually do it? You know, I don't know. So, um, yeah. So I, I think the, the accountability thing, um, my, my dad has a phrase like when is help helpful. And a lot of times, not a lot of, well, I don't know. In some situations you, you might think you're helping somebody, but it turns out that they have the capacity to do things for themselves and they choose not to because they have all this support that's well-intentioned but ends up backfiring for certain individuals. Mm -hmm. For some individuals, you can help them and then they can get themselves into a position where they can do better. For some individuals, I think, you can help them and it's, it's never enough because they can't function on their own. And in, in the state of, if someone's in such a developmental state that they're, you know, they're, they have the capacities of like a seven year old, they're never going to be able to, you know, help, you know, maintain their own lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that's also sad, but some people through, you know, drug addiction, through depression, through all kinds of bad choices that they've made have, put themselves in a situation where they are capable of doing a lot better and not relying on me to show up and help them, but they're not doing, they're not taking the steps that were required, even though all of them are available. So I think there's a huge combination of, of people down there that are really getting screwed by the system, even though they're trying like hell to make it out. 
and people that are making really terrible choices for themselves and putting themselves in a situation. And then people who are incapable really of taking them care of themselves as functional adults that have something productive to do for society that would, you know, earn them money so that they could pay their own rent, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and all of the above, like there's, it's, it's such like every single individual down there has a lifetime of stories, you know, and unfortunately we've been doing this for like seven years now. And I, I see a lot of the same people are down there for seven years now. And so some days it feels some weeks, it feels like, Oh shit, what are we actually accomplishing? You know, I mm-hmm. think for some people we've helped a ton, for other people, we're kind of a bridge to something better. And for other people, it's kind of like a dependence cycle where we can't seem to break out of this you-need-me uh, situation. So, you know, I've, I've heard this phrase thrown around where, uh, uh, you know, ch- uh, solidarity, not charity. And I, I, I'm really impacted by that phrase because it sounds like such a great idea to me that, hey, we're all in this together, solidarity. I'm not just handing you something because I have extra charity and uh i i have not seen um that actually work like all we have is the volunteers who show up and give and then the people who show up and take and they're in a solidarity not charity universe i think what you would have is some kind of bridge to help people you know become productive in that environment and then become productive outside that environment so like table grace cafe i'm rambling so Feel free to shut me down whenever. <laughs> but Table Grace Cafe is where we used to cook for years. Uh-huh. And I think they do a really good job of they feed anyone that needs food. And then if you're capable, physically capable, mentally capable, you can work in the kitchen. You can clean stuff. You can work in the kitchen and build those skills that you've never had due to drug addiction or terrible choices or whatever. And then hopefully move on to... Uh, you know, in the restaurant industry, doing things that are productive. Like, so hopefully they're bridging that. Hopefully that's a solidarity and charity example where they're not just giving things to people, you know, throw it over the fence and it's gone as a resource. Hopefully it's trying to bridge people into a situation where they can improve themselves, you know, so. Yeah. Well, there, there certainly is a lot of that stuff that um, I think a lot of people can relate to. When I was going to school at UNL, um, there was a lot of homeless people that were south of the university. Um, at the time, I was going to school, and I had the Montgomery GI Bill and Army College Fund. So I think about monthly I was getting it, – um, it doesn't work this way anymore, but when I was in school, it, they gave you a monthly stipend, which was like – I think it was like 1500 or $1,600 with both of those combined. But in my mind, I had kind of worked really hard to get that money. Cause I, you know, did a tour in Afghanistan, was in the army for three years. Plus you actually have to pay into Montgomery, into the Montgomery GI, uh, uh, bill fund, you know, as you're getting these really low wages as a private in the army. <laughs> uh, so the, I, there's this one, uh, uh, I don't know if he was homeless, but he was walking around, uh, uh, asking people for money. I think all I had on me at the time was a 20. Um, and, and to me, I've worked really hard for that when uh, uh, when he asked for money, uh, and there was actually trash all over the place. And I wasn't willing to just give something that I had worked so hard for, for nothing. So I said, I'll give you this $20 if you spend 15 minutes cleaning up the trash around here. I would have given it to him, but he didn't want to do the work. 
Mm-hmm. If you think about that, that's $60 an hour. No, mm-hmm. $80 an hour, right? Um, that's a good, that, that's a lot of money. <laughs> he turned it down. Yeah. I, so I didn't give him any money. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at the time I was going to, um, Jimmy John, I was walking to Jimmy John's. I was like, I, I'm, I'm not going to give you any money. I took off and walked to Jimmy John's and ordered some food. In a way, I feel like, um, healthy relationships are that way. Um, not to where there's a giver and a taker, but people are equal partners or traders with a D in that sort of relationship. Um, sometimes people don't have that value to trade. Um, but that's, that is where I, I kind of find myself in somewhat of a conundrum between what's fair and in caring, uh, on a somewhat related story. When I went to take the ASVAB before going into the army, so I, I, I aced the ASVAB. I, 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 the guy handed me back at my scores and his eyeballs opened. Um, but we actually drove up there with the girl that had been up there two times already to take the test and failed both times. She got so low on this entry level test that no branch would take her. We walked out and, uh, I look over and, uh, this same girl that had already failed twice was crying, you know, and, um, it, you know, she had failed again, which was weird because I had just taken the test and I, I, I think to myself, I learned everything that was on that test, uh, in the sixth grade. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that being said, uh, I had heard that, uh, if, uh, that test basically evaluates if you have an IQ above like 83 or 85. I can't remember the exact number. And if you think about it, that's pretty significant. I, I think like 20% of the population has an IQ lower than that. And 20% of the people in this country don't have an IQ high enough to do a job in the military. What type of value do they have for the rest of society? How can they make money? It, it's highly likely they're going to be extremely low wages low wages for their entire life. And, you know, that does get me into this mental debate. Um, what should we do with that 20%? Do they end up being homeless? You know, like what? And I honestly, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that at all. Um, um, I don't, I don't remember if you and I have talked about the future of work and automation and I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So I, uh, if I was smarter, I would quote a bunch of books at you and stuff. Um, since I'm not, and I'm not prepared, um, I I am concerned that the future of automation, like 95... Oh, yeah, we talked about this briefly down the hill one time six months ago. Um, but, you know, 95% of the country used to be involved in food production, you know, 150 years ago or whatever. And now it's 4%. Of the comp- of the country is involved in food production, hmm. and as automation brings more and more um, um, change to what labor is um, valued by society, I'm worried that we're pushing, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and then millions of people out of uh, employment. You know, it it used to be that anyone who wanted to work hard could, you know. Uh, cut chickens apart or, you know, build cars, factory line assembly work. You know, I did what, four months of, of that in high school. Um, and as factories become super automated, at least in this country, 
right? Uh, and as truck drivers, the number the number one employer in the United States, I think, is driving. You know, driving oh, no is the. I think so. I think I didn't so. know that. That yeah. sounds like reasonable. Yeah, the the number of people employed driving in some capacity is enormous. And if if it comes true that 10, 20, 30 years from now, cars all drive themselves everywhere, that's millions of jobs, right? So once again, you have um, another revolution in human history where it used to be that we had to have thousands of people doing this work, and now we don't because yeah. we have – three people repairing the machines that do what thousands of humans used to do. Right. You know? Um, and I looking decades into the future, that is, uh, eye opening to me because it says, okay, well, it's not just that I apparently have a skill set which tricks people into thinking that they should pay me to keep doing what I do. It's as millions of people get pushed out of, um, valuable things that can be done because our machines and our computers are creating everything you know that humans used to create. Not everything, but tons of things. What does that look like? How do you have millions of citizens that can't literally can't find employment? You know, and as that percentage turns into ten percent of the population, thirty percent of the population, half the population, you know, my job could be automated. Um. So what do I, you know, I've been programming computers for 25 years, but I'm no genius. You know, I just have been doing it for so long. If that job goes away, you know, and I don't know if your job is automatable or not, but, you know, as everything keeps changing, what do you do with a society where, say, 20, you only need, you know, 20 million people to feed 400 million people or 600 million people and run all the basic services? So -hmm. now what does money mean, right? What is fairness look like what does equality under the law look like if a huge percentage of your population is unemployable as humans and i'm not blaming the you know i'm not blaming certain people for making bad decisions what i'm saying is the job market could leave yeah. the capacity of humanity behind because there are things like in my field that computers do where if they can also do my job, well, crap, I can't compete with that. You know, it's the computer is 10 million times faster than any human. You know, we don't have people, bookmakers writing things by hand for accounting anymore. You know, I write software in a half an hour, which crunches through billions of data points <laughs> faster than everyone could have a hundred years ago, you know, like, yeah. So yeah. What does that look like? So I, I think this all falls under the, the umbrella, the, the rubric of the future of work. And there's some really uh, fascinating, uh, probably YouTube videos. I don't, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm well read or anything because <laughs> I mostly listen to podcasts and watch YouTube. I guess <laughs> a lot of yeah. documentaries on Hulu, maybe. But yeah, well, it's it's interesting sometimes as as a point of a, I, I wouldn't say conflict, but you know, debate. You know, a lot of people worry about that stuff you know they see a statistic or something that's happening or or changing in society and they start to worry about it because it's outside of their control and uh, in in one so like in my uh version of what i kind of hold to value what we do as a society the accountability part is a way in which i think that that those issues take care of itself. 
Well, how can they? Like, so say, if you have 20 million people who literally are unemployable because they're humans. Oh, yeah. And I think, that, I think that's a good point. So like one, uh, I was uh, uh, debating with somebody once and it was actually uh, as uh, Donald Trump uh, did the tariffs and I'm like dead set against tariffs. Right. Because I don't think they help either either group of people because basically it just ends up being a tax on the people that live in a country um, for the goods that they're consuming that are produced better or cheaper in another country. And um, uh, one of his arguments was, well, why can't we just bring that job into the country? You know, why can't we produce um, this or that by – uh, elevating the prices of the goods that are brought in and making ours, our goods more competitive. And my answer to that is that that's not my problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> At the end of the day, if I lose my job tomorrow because of economic constraints, that my job is done better by somebody over the phone in India, I don't have any control over that. And nobody's going to look at that. Oh, hey, look at that electrical engineer that lost his job. You know, it's it's going to be my problem. <laughs> no matter how you look at it, it's going to be my problem that I need to deal with. And I feel like I expect that of out of everybody else. Um, case in point, um, I, I don't hear anybody ever complaining that we don't have a lot of wagon makers today, <laughs> right? <laughs> Even though that was a probably a, uh, a profession that employed a lot of people at some point in time. Yeah. Blacksmithing. Uh, yeah. And you know, when cars came about, um, those guys didn't become worthless right off the bat. Uh, but, um, certainly there became immediately less of a demand for wagons. And that probably put a lot of people out of work, even right off the bat. It didn't it maybe not put out everybody at, at the end of the day. It was their responsibility to find other ways that they can contribute to society. Um, and that's just the way I look at the, the work market. Yeah. I, I think individuals should all be pressured to not be on welfare if they cannot be on welfare. Right. Like I have a work ethic, which says, um, if I can be productive, I'm going to be productive. Mm -hmm. But 20, 40 years from now, if computers have automated everything and robots have automated, not everything, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And now we literally have way fewer jobs to do. And you and I are both going, oh shit, you're an electrical engineer. I've been programming, you know, I'm a college dropout. I've been programming computers for 25 years. Neither one of us can get a job. You know, and we're the lucky ones because we were employed for decades before this happened to us. You know, I understand that you and I should, you know, get off our butts and work hard and try to figure out how to make it work. Right. But as a society, like, you know, you and I are sitting here as voters, American citizens. And as a society, I worry that we also have to have a big picture vision for what are we going to do? You know, mm -hmm. because not everybody can just be a digital artist, uh, you know, and try to earn five bucks a month on Twitch a thousand times and earn a living that way. Mm -hmm. um, so what what are we doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> so I think I think most people will figure that out as best they can. But if the 
employment opportunities keep disappearing, at some point society has to have, it seems to me, some society has to have a, some structure which says, oh, okay, well, Jeff Bezos made, you know, he's now a trillionaire and there's this huge strata of people that own 90% of the, uh, this is my fictional, you know, I'm not talking real numbers. I'm talking about a fictional future here where the automation, like I, I try to train myself on fixing the robots mm-hmm. and it takes me five years to break into that, or I'm not smart enough to break into it because you need a lot of math and I suck at math or, you know, whatever. It seems to me as, as a society, we need to have some kind of structure where um, it's okay to be a human being and you won't starve and die while Jeff Bezos has his 57th yacht, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's how I look at it, is if we have a strata, this upper strata of humanity that's owning 95% of the wealth because they're the ones that, you know, that graduated from MIT and they know how to do the AI stuff that actually made the whatever, whatever, whatever. But for every one of those, there's 10,000 people that literally have nothing to add to that. Like me, like I suck at AI stuff. It, it seems to me we have to figure out, okay, well, what do we do? So is that universal basic income or whatever? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that resonates with you at all in terms of, I, I'm I'm agreeing with you that individuals have a responsibility to do what they can to provide value to other people. Otherwise, you know, what are you doing? And I, I have a strong work ethic and I was raised that way, et cetera. But what do you do in a hypothetical future where those these things become unreachable? Yeah, oh yeah. And I, I, I think that um I think that's one way that maybe I, I bring up the accountability thing is and and this is I think why sometimes I think a lot of Republicans bring up the accountability issues and it makes it sound like they don't care whereas they just want to use um they want to give some of their other moral considerations room to breathe and um hey, you got to get back on that mic oh crap sorry so one thing is I guess the way that I look at it is that sometimes we may worry about those things and then we have to have this external thing that uh, a Republican would view it as removing the personal accountability. So, uh, you know, base pay is an example where the left completely disagrees with the right on having a universal basic income. Right. And that's because somebody that's on the right who believes in accountability as a that should and and that accountability should be a natural part of everyday interactions that doing something like a universal paycheck would remove some of the accountability associated with not having a universal paycheck right and that's kind of where i'm i guess why i'm okay with thinking to myself that well people just need to figure it out um without government involvement so uh, so that we can maintain the accountability such that people make decisions that benefit society as a whole as opposed to just receiving a paycheck for doing nothing. Yeah. I would love to receive a paycheck for doing nothing, <laughs> yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing my job for a long time now, and drawing a salary for doing nothing sounds amazing. Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> so, right? So sign me up. Yeah, there, there's some there's some line – 
across which you don't want to incentivize people not to work when they can work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, there's also a line across which our income, our wealth gap has become so drastic that it's not okay for billionaires to keep making billions of dollars while people starve. If UBI, and what, when, I, when I say UBI, what I'm talking about is an amount of money to survive, but not, and, you know, you're taking public transportation, you have basic housing, you have your food needs met, you have your medical needs met. That, that's what I see as a baseline ethical society that, you know, billionaires can billionaire all they want. And that's fine. And people like you and me in the middle there somewhere um, can do the best that we can. And when we want, you know, better microphones, we work for them and we pay for them. And, you know, that's great. Um, but I, I feel like the the nation is not ethical if it's not providing for the the for the people at the bottom. And some of that's going to get abused. That's just, you know, one one of the things I've learned from helping people is that sometimes you get abused. Sometimes you get shit on for trying to help. And um, that's just part of it, you know. And I just tell myself, well, uh, you know, I got yelled at or something went really wrong, but these other 40 people apparently needed it. And so I brought it and they took it. And that's great. That makes me feel good about it as opposed to it all getting just thrown away. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's gotta be some line at which it's not okay. I, I'm trying to remember what movie it was where, um, all the wealthy citizens are like in a spaceship above in the clouds and they're looking down. They're, they're in a big ring thing. I don't know if you remember what movie this was, but they're all living in a big ring thing, which is like this terraformed paradise that's circling the earth. Oh, and then the uh, earth is hell. <laughs> Matt, know, the, the Matt Damon movie? Probably, yeah. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Elysium but, or something like that. Is that the one? I can't remember. But any, the, the point being that, like, you know, 2% of the earth's population is this ultra wealthy, you know, kings and queens of the celestial, you know, spaceship. And everyone else is just, you know, scratching and clawing uh, to survive, you know. And that's not the kind of society I want to live in. I don't want to live in the ring and I don't want to live, you know, in the base. And the the reality of life on earth is that you and I are among the richest 1% of the globe. You know, if you have, what, $2,000 available to you mm-hmm. at all, you're among the richest 1% on the planet in terms of money or, you know, whatever the statistic is, something like that. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, the statistic I heard, and I, I need to verify this, but if you make like over $30,000 a year, 50,000, something like that, you're in the top 1% of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I've, you know, I've, I've traveled to Indonesia and I was, and in, in Malaysia and in Indonesia, you see subsistence living where they, fish to survive and the money exchange is minimal. Like they, they're just not plugged into an economic system. That's not their main thing. They have money. It exists. They make money, they sell things and they buy things, they barter and they, they're, and money is around, but they're, you know, they're 
uh, on, on any, if you're looking at it through the lens of capital, they're insanely poor, but most of the time, I think a lot of them are living pretty well. You know, they have enough food to eat and they have, you know, uh, the 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 you know they're out in nature and <laughs> they're they're able to sustain mm-hmm. but you know their their healthcare is lacking in terms of like what you and I would consider a normal like dental healthcare regime etc but they're having lots of kids and those kids i assume have some sort of education system that i'm not aware of and they're not on the internet at all they're just on these islands in indonesia and, um, you know, it's a totally different way of, to live and I, I don't have that much experience with it. I've only, you know, witnessed it for hours, not for days or months or years, mm-hmm. but a friend of mine adopted a child from, uh, Ethiopia. And so they've gone back, uh, several times to visit his village in Ethiopia and, um, just describing to me, um, how life works there, you know, on a subsistence farming kind of, and, and in his village, they weren't starving. Like they're, they, they had enough food for the village and everybody takes care of each other and they're multi-generational homes. And the old people are uh, living with the young people are living with all the babies and the child mortality rate is high. Um, but that's life. That's just how life works there, you know, in all of its, you know, glory and pain, but yeah. Well, and that's interesting. And I, going back to the pillars idea about like the differences sometimes that I see between groups or sides, I, I feel like, um, and I don't know what this pillar would be called, <laughs> but, um, one reason why, so, uh, for starters, I guess, um, whatever Bill Gates or, or, or Bezos has is irrelevant to the happiness of my own personal life. Right. So that's one of the first points. But the second point is that even if I knew that taking money from them and giving it to myself, I could buy more things. I would feel like I violated a sense of morality that I I can't really put into words in the sense that I would say that both of those guys have earned the money that they have received. And I would be saying to them, in essence, you have more than me. uh, Therefore, I have a right to take money that you've earned and give it to myself who hasn't earned it, earned it. It would be like, uh, just giving the guy 20 bucks instead of asking him to work for it. There's a, there's a pillar there that I really can't put into words, um, that I think would be missing, uh, from what holds me up morally. If I lived in a society that said Bezos, the max that you can earn is a million dollars a year, even though that's probably pretty generous. The rest has to go somewhere else and be redistributed. I don't think I feel good about knowing that I I would live in a society that feels like they have ownership over the money that somebody else has earned. Uh, That being said, since I can't really identify that pillar that I'm missing there, I think one of the original things that we were going to talk about in this episode was the stand your ground laws. Yeah. And, and uh, one thing that you had said in discord that kind of caught my attention uh, was in that video of that uh, defense lawyer that I posted who was describing the difference between it and, and what its use was for. How he said, what did he say? He said um, it was a moral victory on the, on our side, air quotes, <laughs> where, where he said um, 
stand your ground laws were initiated in some states and and you had said that that was kind of divisive um but that's actually it it was interesting that you had pointed that out because i felt like at its core i i agreed with that statement that stand your ground laws provide and again this is another pillar that i can't define right now in words but it um even before he said it in that video i felt like requiring somebody to leave a place where they were legally allowed to be and and flee away from someone that wanted to victimize them that that violated some moral principle right that I, I can't put into words right now and stand your ground laws, give that moral principle back into society. I, I wish I was smart enough to put into words what I mean right there. I think you're, you're talking about individual freedom and it's, you know, you, every individual has a right to life, right? Mm-hmm. And anyone who threatens your life, um, that's, uh, I think that's, that the principle is self-defense, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. So, yeah, switching to stand your ground stuff, I, I think you and I, let me, let me give this background and you can correct me. I, I think what we've come to, so, okay, well, how this started was, <laughs> <laughs> how this started was. An incident happened in Kansas City where my parents live, and a gun. So it was a traffic incident. Um, two young men, who I actually I don't know them personally, but I know of them. Like so, this is. I I don't want to get specific because I don't want to you know violate people's privacy, but um, I'm told this story, and it it happened literally on on Tuesday where uh, a young man and his friend were in a car and then got rear-ended by um, a pickup truck. And they got out of the car like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And the pickup truck pulled a gun on them, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this happened to someone I know, not like someone I know's son. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, that's crazy. Like what, you know, what what kind of world is Kansas City or Missouri in that – that's okay. Like, how is that okay? You just rear-ended me and now you pull a gun on me. So that started the whole, um, uh, talk about, uh, you know, my father, because I sent it to my mom and dad and my dad said, Oh yeah, Missouri is regressive as hell. And if they get stand your ground passed in public places, that's going to be, you know, terrible for, you know, the wild West and vigilantism and all this stuff. I talked to you. So we were talking in discord and then, we were talking about uh, both you and I have had um, concealed carry uh, training. And in the state of Nebraska, you have a duty to retreat, quote, duty to retreat, end quote. And so in Discord, we had gone through, I think, and I had linked all of the legislation about Nebraska's duty to retreat, which I think stands in opposition to Florida, for example's, quote, stand your ground, end quote, laws right so i I think in law there's these two principles um one in nebraska this duty to retreat and then uh in florida for example 
this stand your ground. And what you were explaining to me, if I if I'm repeating this correctly, is that before there were any laws, um, what would happen is uh, people were armed, and if your life was threatened and you killed that person, then that's self defense, and you're not sent to jail or punished, right? And a duty to retreat introduces a, hey, you have to uh, do, if it's possible to do so, you are under a legal obligation to remove yourself from the situation if, it, if you can safely do that before using deadly force. And I said, oh, that sounds reasonable. And then stand your ground takes that, uh, your, your explanation to me was the stand your ground law is actually take it back to where we were before where no self-defense is self-defense. Look, if someone is coming at you, I have, you know, your every individual has a right to defend themselves. And this duty to retreat thing is actually counterproductive and stand your ground just eliminates that duty to retreat. And that's all it is. So it's not this. I think your point was stand your ground isn't scarier than not having laws and everyone has a right to self-defense Stand your ground is just putting us back to where we started, where the duty to retreat doesn't apply, where self-defense is self-defense, and um, every everyone has the right to defend themselves and others from immediate uh, violence, what, whatever the phrasing is in Nebraska law. Mm-hmm. Is that did I recap that at all? Yeah, um, I, I think that was a that was a pretty good recap. The, the only thing that I would add to that was, um, and I don't I don't know if you want me to read the quote that what you said. Yeah, go ahead. It. He said, uh, "No surprise, Missouri is not the most retrograde state in the union, but we got to be in the running in the race to the bottom. Expanding the so-called castle doctrine to all public areas, as some are trying to do." is really a license to kill for anyone who claims to feel threatened appalling unless you're a vigilante. So, um, and I don't think I really said exactly what, cause I kind of said some vague statements. I think my, so, uh, I've, I put a link in there that kind of went through the different States and, and the different duties that were there in the States. And, um, and then I says, it seems uh, like, it is the right thing to do if you ask me. Not sure it is really a license to kill, but I guess I will have to ask him how he comes to that conclusion next time I see him. So one thing is, and and th- I was really trying to research this um, about stand your ground laws. I don't know <laughs> at the end of the day what the duty to retreat does, right? And the reason why I say that is because as we've been talking about specific instances, I don't think we found a single one where we didn't agree on whether or not you needed to run, you know, like we talked about the clerk, you know, setting his gun down on the table um, and you, you have concealed carry. Do you have a responsibility or a duty to run or can you draw your gun and fire, you know, and, and save your life? Um, I, I think we both agreed. Um, so in, if you look at that instance itself, I, d- I don't know what the duty, how the duty to retreat ever applies, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure that out either. Yeah. So I, I linked to the, I don't know if you want to read the verbiage, maybe this is a bad idea for a podcast, but the the 
the Nebraska bill oh. that actually says the two sentences that say duty to retreat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's listed twice. But yeah, I, I was struggling to figure out in the state of Nebraska under what conditions would someone be guilty of a failure in duty to retreat when they were acting in ways that I think you and I would both consider reasonable. Um, and I couldn't figure one out. Yeah. So if, if, <laughs> if we can't come up with a single scenario where someone's being reasonable, and I think we both agree that there are a million scenarios where you can be unreasonable with a gun and you should go to jail. But if we can't figure out a single scenario where duty to retreat would bite you because you failed to do it reasonably, because the law says if in complete safety you're able to, I don't know if you want to actually read it, but it says something like that. I'm paraphrasing something for, I read three days ago, yeah. <laughs> but in the state of Nebraska, if in complete safety, you're able to extricate yourself from the situation without further um, threats of, of violence. So what, what is it? It's immediate, uh, physical body, bodily injury or killing or sexual assault or kidnapping. Those are the four things that enumerates that you're allowed to defend yourself mm-hmm. or others from. Like if, if I have a gun and someone's getting, Oh, <laughs> oh I got Whoops. excited. God damn, <laughs> throw my mic around. Sorry. If, if I, if I have a gun and someone is being kidnapped I can employ deadly force to stop a kidnapping in the uh-huh. state of Nebraska. Apparently that's what the law says. I don't know how you would know for sure that they're being kidnapped, but I guess if, if a woman is screaming help, I'm being kidnapped, <laughs> then they're being kidnapped probably. Yeah. Well, so I, 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 I struggled trying to figure out what it actually did. Um, legally, uh, I did come across that video, which did say that it had some civil implications. Um, so when I did the concealed carry permit class for me, I, there was all, it was also combined with another class called uh, personal protection in the home and talked about uh, Nebraska laws uh, with what your duty is as a homeowner and somebody that breaks into your home. So, um, and it's been so long, I can't remember the details but it, it it seemed like in Nebraska you have to have either a safe room or a place where you and everybody in the home can retreat to before you resort to deadly violence against an intruder in your house. And um, I, I never really – so my impression was is that if you don't perform that duty, quote air quotes, <laughs> then – and you, someone breaks into your house and uh, you shoot them and they die. And that person's family depended on the income of that individual. They could, since in order to exonerate yourself from criminal liability, you have to openly admit to the police that you shot and killed this person, right? That That's not even up for debate. That's actually factual information as a part of that case. Uh-huh. 
the the first rule is never talk to police, right? So well, eventually, you never, eventually <laughs> you, you never have say to. anything to the police ever. Right. No, I'm not even saying when they come over, but you do have to get a. Uh, we were told that you will be arrested, that you shouldn't directly talk to the police, but you should get a lawyer. Yeah. And as you talk to that lawyer, Correct. you have to tell the lawyer uh, he broke into my house. I acted in self defense, which stuff, and and that lawyer will. Uh, choose what needs to be relayed to the police in order to exonerate you. And part of that is that um, uh, my client did shoot the person. He acted in self-defense. Here's the evidence, right? Those things, the death of the person has to be accounted for, right? Um, So since you have openly admitted to killing this person, but you did it in self-defense, now that person, since the standard for civil liability is different than criminal liability, the individuals that were dependent on this person for income can now sue you. And part of the grounds that they can sue you on is that you did not do your duty to retreat to your safe room before you took this person's life. Right. And when I, that video that I posted, it seemed like, now that before that video, that was my impression that uh, if you need to if you need to off somebody that you feel like your life is threatened from, you can do that, and there's no criminal penalty penalty. But based upon that course, there was some civil liabilities that remained if you did not actually do your duty to go to the safe room. The guy in that video said that that's the way that it used to be when those things were initially created. Um, you know. Uh, the uh, duty to retreat, whether in your home or outside, that performing those actions removed the civil liability that could later come. But over time, when judge rules, judges ruled that fa- you could not be sued for wrongful death as a result to testifying that you did it in self-defense, that those things, challenges to removing them from civil liabilities went up the chain and then they found out over time that it didn't even protect you from that. And so there's really no real value from uh, duty to retreat, whether inside or outside your home. That's the only thing I've been able to find. So hold on. So somebody breaks into my house and I shoot them and you're saying, so the, so yeah, Criminal prosecution and civil lawsuits are two totally different things with two totally different sets of uh, evidence you need to provide. I I lost the thread on the last sentence, I think. The duty to retreat, I I haven't heard a duty to retreat inside the house. Like if someone's screaming at the top of their lungs and bashing uh, all kinds of crap outside my house and then they break in the front door and I shoot them, you know, that sounds like I... You know, I did what, what I'm supposed to do, <laughs> but um, you're saying that I am going to get sued by the person's family that I shot? Not that you will, but you're open to that. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd be open to that anyway. Like, I could sue you right now for hosting a podcast, right? Like, there, yeah. anybody can sue anybody for anything, so. Well, and that's that was actually what that video was talking about. Uh, the second one that I posted was that, like, let's say as a part of, um, like, let's say it goes to court. Someone breaks in your, so somebody cut, uh, uh, breaks into your house. Uh, you shoot them because you fear for your life. Uh, the cops come. You don't talk to them. You get a lawyer. 
but the prosecutor feels like something was awry. So then you have an actual court thing where in that court, your defense has to argue that you did it in self-defense, right? You did it, but you did it in self-defense. Okay. In the past, what would happen is, and let's say you got acquitted on all charges. Well, as a part of those court proceedings, there was some magical court stuff where it said he has been acquitted. Therefore, he cannot be sued civilly because the court has determined that he did it in self-defense. Right? That video said that challenges to those court orders that he cannot be sued now because, you know, he, he openly admitted to doing it, but he did it in self-defense. Uh, weren't upheld by challenges to that by people that later on wanted to sue. Um, so let's say you did. Um, and, you, and you're saying the stand your ground laws have introduced this problem into the mix? No, not. Uh, or sorry, so, that, the, that the duty to retreat laws have introduced this problem into the mix? That's so what you're saying? my understanding is that the duty to retreat laws were introduced as a reason for courts to make that mandate that you can't be civilly sued because it's a way to say you did your part and therefore I can't be civilly sued. So then the court can say, well, not he, he pled self-defense. He did everything he should. Um, uh, therefore he can't be sued. Right. Hmm. That stuff started to happen after the duty to retreat laws went into effect. Well, that's good, right? Like, isn't that what you want? It is. But over time, there were challenges to those court, um, I don't know what you would call them, edicts, that they can't be sued, air quotes. Uh, somebody wanted to sue, right? And then they, they'd they say, the, the, the courts would say, well, you can't sue. So then they would appeal that decision and it would go up the ladder and then they would say, well, this person can sue once it got to a certain level, <laughs> right? That you can't bar them from suing these individuals, Um uh, because a court said you can't. <laughs> but but I don't understand how that has anything to do with the duty to retreat laws. Like the the the, the whether or not um, someone's saying criminally I'm not guilty because of self defense, whether or not that has any bearing on civil liability, I I don't I don't understand. So the, I think the idea was is that they were introduced as a way to. Uh, reduce the civil liability uh, maybe i no. don't know hmm. the problem comes is that there's so many excuses and this is where it gets really convoluted for me there, there's so many reasons to uh, let me say there's no legal obligation or a, a reason to criminally hold someone liable because they didn't retreat right so let, let's say the same scenario if someone breaks into your house, you do exactly what you had to do. You, uh, you and everybody in your house knows the safe room. They break the criminal breaks in. You guys all flee to the safe room, right? There's no well, obstacles. That, I mean, you do it. Then the person, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So somebody <laughs> breaks in the, the, the door of the safe room and then that, that's it. You have no choice whatsoever. You have to shoot this person. You shoot them. They die. Right. The idea being, that now you can't be civil, civilly sued by those people that because you literally did everything. It was literally the last resort, right? Mm. Let's take the same situation, but you and everybody else is on different sides of the house, 
So you know that if you flee to the safe room, everybody else in the house is going to be victimized. So you say, screw it. I'm going to ignore the duty to go to the safe room and I'm going to defend my family, which I feel like personally, you have every goddamn right to say, Mm. (laughs) right? (laughs) So you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go save my family. Uh, Well, without uh, Castle Doctrine or anything, you still have that. Right. right. Like so, that can happen in the street. Right. So you do it on the way there to meet your family. You encounter these people. You shoot them dead. They fall to the ground. But you haven't done your duty to retreat at that point. But in both cases, you will not be held criminally liable. Right. Hmm. But you could still be held civilly liable in the case where you did not go to the safe room. Now, I am saying this as not like a legal expert. This is just what I've been trying to find, right? <laughs> I think anyone listening can tell. Neither right, one of us right? are lawyers. <laughs> it's so convoluted, right? I, I don't understand the point of it. Right? I don't think we're tricking anyone into thinking we're lawyers here. <laughs> yeah, so I guess my point is is that the duty to retreat is just this – it's 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 nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it it – it doesn't even do what it was intended to do, which is absolve people of the civil liability of accounting for that act uh, civilly, right? It doesn't but, even do that. Well, no, I mean, conceptually, here's what it does for me and probably for my dad, right? What it, what it does for me is it says, look, lethal force, having a gun is a serious fucking deal. And you shouldn't be just sticking one in your purse and never going to the range ever, which is apparently what, like in Iowa, you can just go buy a gun, stick it in your purse, never having shot it ever once. Right. Mm-hmm. And just walk around with it. That's how it works in Iowa. <laughs> in Nebraska, you at least have to show that you can fire the thing in the general direction that you're trying to shoot and hit the broad side of a barn. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get your, in the state of Nebraska, that's how you get your concealed carry permit is that you have to actually, uh, no timer, no, you know, there's, this isn't, it's just, you have to hit these targets with no time limit. Right. And I I think that's better, but what was my point? Uh, You were saying about what uh, you and your dad kind of. uh... Oh yeah. Okay. So what, what I think it does for me is it says, look, if if you're going to have a gun, it's an extremely serious thing, and it has legal repercussions. It would, this should be obvious to anyone with a gun, but, you know, some people treat guns like they're fucking toys, which drives me insane. Like, I'm huge on gun safety. Um, it It puts in my head the fact that at all times, if I can, I am legally responsible to de-escalate any situation that I find myself in before using deadly force, which I think psychologically is a good thing to have in people's heads. Mm -hmm. The fact that I can't think of a single scenario, the way the law is written, the way that I read it off of the Nebraska legislature website, I can't think of a single scenario where any reasonable set of actions would actually constitute a, a, a failure of the duty to yeah. retreat <laughs> means that it's not actually practical to me. Like I can't think of one, but it is psychologically, I think powerful to say, look, you have a legal responsibility to fucking deescalate this situation and get out of it. If you can do so safely. Right. As opposed to, 
you know, high nooning it out with some asshole who's standing in the parking lot next to you because both of you are standing your ground, right? And that's not fair to stand your ground because as I read the stand your ground statutes, <laughs> when you actually read the laws, these things aren't nearly as powerful as they make them. It makes a, the, buzz, yeah. the buzz phrase on both sides, stand your ground and um, duty to retreat. It's, it sounds, you know, pithy, like it means something powerful. And when you actually read the legislation, for example, of the Florida law that a bunch of people were freaking out about, I'm reading the legislation and it seems perfectly fine to me. Like the stand your ground in Florida is like, well, yeah, of course, because you have the right to defend yourself. Yeah. But psychologically to me, it's also important to say, look, in a society where we have, you know, police officers and you're not supposed to be just shooting each other. You, you have a responsibility to withdraw, to de-escalate and withdraw, not to, you know, see whose freaking gun is bigger, you know, in some masculine bullshit, toxic fucking showdown crap, you know. So that that's that's all. It, to, to me, it seems important in an intellectually vacuous sort of way that doesn't actually accomplish anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but it, it seems important to, you know. Because I, you know, I haven't gone shooting with you, but I assume you take gun safety as seriously as I do, where, you know, if, if we want to screw around, that's what everything else is for. But guns is not for screwing around. Um, it's fun. Like I enjoy shooting sports, but you have to be safe doing it, you know, and this is drilled into my head so hard at the, you know, the Eastern Nebraska practical shooters are, you know, safety is <laughs> yeah. the number one. No, no, like seriously. Like any violation and you're out, you're just ejected. You uh, um, and I swept my, I almost swept my hand one time when I was popping because I was feeling cocky and I was, I was, <laughs> I pulled the, uh, uh, God, I don't even remember the name parts of guns. Charging so I, I pulled the slide back Oh yeah, to, to pop out the live round because I'm, you know, hammered down and holstering and I popped the live round out and I catched it in my hand because I saw a bunch of other guys do that and it looks cool. And he's like, Ooh, you almost swept your, you know, the tip of your finger almost went in front of the barrel there. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, yeah. but it just, because you get comfortable with the damn thing after you shoot a few thousand rounds through it, it starts feeling like, okay, this isn't, you know, but it, it you're one second away from killing somebody accidentally all mm -hmm. the time when you fuck around with guns. So, yeah. And at, at the end of the day, I, I think you're right. I think there's, what is perceived that was changed according to these laws and what actually changed. My understanding is beginning to end in a very high level <laughs> is we, it, it was, there was no duty to retreat. We put in a duty to retreat to alleviate civil liabilities. The civil liabilities never, the intended result never happened because of challenges to the law and um, how that was implemented uh, and people still ended up being civilly liable, even if they did perform their duty to retreat and the stand your ground laws just remove something that doesn't work anyways. And in no case did the duty to retreat or stand your ground laws change the criminal liability or your responsibilities as a person or human being N neither one did ultimately the, the florida statute that i read the stand your ground florida statute literally all it did was say 
hey, the duty to retreat no longer applies. Right. That's all it said. It, it yeah, didn't even right. say – I think it did say stand your ground in there somewhere in one of the paragraphs. But, yeah. But, yeah, all – but what it's saying is that yeah, so so I don't know. I, I don't know that any real world scenario that either of these actually mattered. What I do fucking care about is that our our daily lives aren't you know turned into some crazy Hollywood you know bullshit western. Everybody's shooting it out. Crap, you know that's 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 true. And it's no matter technically which way it is. If your state still has duty retreat, duty to retreat. Or your state has done stand your ground. It doesn't really change how can you how you can criminally react, right? I was in Deadwood, South Dakota. Went into a um, a casino, like one of those tourist casinos, whatever. Everybody's drinking, and there's a guy open carrying, yeah, drinking. And I'm like, what the? F- Is that a real gun? <laughs> I was like, what the? F-? And that's just normal there. I'm yeah. like. Really? You're going to mix alcohol with live guns with gambling against <laughs> other players? It's not even that you're mad at the casino. It's that you're, you know, it's like, it's crazy. It's like, so I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm not here. I'm not the customer you're looking for, apparently, because <laughs> this is, I'm not interested in being around drunk people with guns. Right. Gambling. Yeah. And I, you know, I just leave, you know, that's it. So no big deal. I'm just like, okay, this scene is not for me. Yeah. Well, (laughs) there's an interesting real life implication to that. But, um, uh, at, at the end of the day, the only thing that I really disagreed with was the statements that, um, uh, like standard ground laws are a license to kill. (laughs) Did I say that? No, you're, you're. That is what your dad said. My dad said that? Yeah, he said that. guy, I swear to God. Yeah, see. This is really a license to kill for anyone who claims to feel threatened. Appalling, unless you're a vigilante, right? So, like, it it seems like there's a misconception out there that stand-your-ground laws allow you to uh, kill anybody at will. All you have to do is tell the cops you were scared for your life. And... um, it allows you to be vigilante, right? What was the one I so I posted one like two weeks ago where I was upset, where wasn't it some? Oh, the Missouri legislature had a bill that died in committee, but it basically said that you didn't even have to show any evidence that it was self defense, and that pissed me off. Like in in court. When you kill someone, you the evidence should you, you should have to go through a trial to figure out. Well, depending on the the circumstances, like if someone's robbing a so like this happened three years ago in Omaha, is that a guy was robbing a liquor store and a guy was concealed carry illegally and shot the guy because the guy came in with a gun to rob the store uh-huh. and he killed him and he didn't even get arrested. And that gun was illegal. Like, he was concealed carrying illegally because he had let his thing expire. Like, you and I, our things are expired. Yeah, they didn't even even arrest him. They're like, based on the preponderance of evidence, and I don't know if they had video footage in the the store or whatever, but uh, no, it looks like everything's fine here. And yeah, technically, that was a gun violation. Like, he wasn't supposed to conceal Mm -hmm. that gun, but he could have open carried that gun. But anyway... 
he did the right thing and he's a hero, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, the, the, the Missouri law that, that, <laughs> that died in committee, if you can find that one, wasn't that a week ago that I posted that one? That one was crazy that the evidence you, you didn't have to have any evidence at all that it was self-defense. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to testify that it was self-defense. Like they took away all of the, um, the, what's it called? The, 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 the responsibility for the person who's still alive to even make a case that it was self-defense, that law enforcement should assume that it's self-defense. <laughs> They're supposed to assume that every dead person was killed in self-defense. Now, this, this is not a law in Missouri, but this was a bill that went before the committee. Can you pull it up? Oh, yeah. What I, was it, like LB freaking whatever? I, I was actually looking. I think it was 666 because I'm like, oh, shit, the devil sign. <laughs> so, I, I was trying to find it. I couldn't. Oh, never mind. Okay, I'll, um, I'll put it in the show notes and people can yell at me because I'm wrong. But the – um, yeah, that freaked me oh. out. And it died in committee. Thankfully, because when I read the body of that bill, I couldn't freaking believe that anyone thought that was a good idea. And two senators in the state of Missouri voted for that. So either I've wildly misunderstood what the frick that bill said, which I don't know how I can because I can read English. I've been doing it for a while. Um, it wasn't a complicated legal document. It was simple. And I, I couldn't believe that thing. Oh, here they are, I think. Um, Nebraska has not enacted a standard ground law. Yeah, it was before uh, that, I think. Oh, man, I can't find it. I, no, that's fine. I'll find it. I, I, I've looked up here like four times, I think, to try to find it. So related to that, and I, I actually don't know if this is true, but when it seems like I did follow that link at one point. So here's the conundrum, I think. And, and this is the subjective nature of what we've kind of been doing as a society. <laughs> This is also related, like if you go that active self-protection link that I, I put in Discord where it has like um, different videos about self-defense and all these different things, they actually have a different channel called Active Self-Protection Extra. And what they do is, is sometimes they will interview some of these victims. And and one of them that really stuck out to me that I, I did once was a guy that had his family in a van and they were actually coming out of like getting their tires changed and something. At any rate, there was a car that was actually set out there waiting to ambush him and take their car. Right. This guy was a black guy and he was a concealed carry permit holder. And You're talking about the victim or the car? The they... victim was, okay. it was, and he was in the car with his family. So uh, when they were ambushed, he got out and shot one of them and killed one of them. He, he might've actually killed more than one of them because it was more than one. Uh, oh, it, it was just one. And I think the person's partner was parked off waiting for everything to happen. At, at any rate, what this this black guy that was the victim with his family uh, talks about is what happened um, and after the fact as part, uh, as part of the police investigation, right? He was never charged, but he does talk about um, what he kind of went through as a black person uh, going through this process, Um in in that regard, if if you look at things other things like Kyle Rittenhouse or other things where there's this there's I don't know how a prosecutor could say I have enough evidence to charge them, how they can go ahead and charge them, and 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 then in court there's no evidence uh, to say that it wasn't 
and here this person is who really acted in self-defense is actually kind of being punished in a way with uh, the court costs and the risk involved. Um, uh, in this particular case, the act of self-protection extra with this black guy, you know, um, the, the fact that he was kind of uh, possibly maybe assumed to be not a victim, right? It, it seems like a law like that makes sense in the sense that we don't want to make we i personally don't think it's the right thing to do to victimize somebody that's already been a victim by saying you need to go to court and spend all this money to defend yourself when we literally have no evidence that you should be in court right now do you know what i'm saying um well i'm saying you can't have dead people and not have a process to figure out yeah. whether or not it was self-defense. <laughs> no, I get that. And I agree. It should be that way. I'm not, I'm not debating that. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that I can see why some people would feel like there is a problem that needs to be solved with a bill like Missouri made. <laughs> because what they don't want is people who are actual victims being hauled through the court process as some sort of a punishment. Well, but what do you, and, but what do you do? Like if, if, if the cops show up and somebody's dead, right. Mm-hmm. Either that was self-defense or that was murder. Right. And there's only one person alive. So, I mean, you have to take that seriously. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Do by taking it seriously, do you think, I mean, that, you're looking for witnesses, you're looking for video, you're looking yeah. for like fucking anything. Do you, but if there's nothing, then the only story is the person who's alive, which that's what my, <laughs> it, it, right. My concealed but, carry instructor I, actually I, said that to me. He said that to the whole class. Yeah. Like, like, Oh my God. Did he just say that? Let's say someone breaks into your house, you shoot him in self-defense. Um, the cops come and they investigate and they can't find any evidence of foul play in the sense that you, you murdered this person. Well, they're at my house. So right, no, but that is evidence. What I'm trying to say is let's, let's just assume that you were the victim and they broke into your house and you did it everything correctly. Right. And there, there, there is no evidence to say there is foul play. Do you think that the DA should bring charges to you and you, and you, you should go through the court process to prove that it was self-defense. No, it's my house and the window's broken or whatever the fuck. Yeah, and, and, and I, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, no, I'm they, saying that if there's two dudes with guns in a, in a parking lot, mm-hmm. it was either murder or self-defense and you have to try to, you know, figure that out. So, yeah, if, if I kill somebody in a parking lot... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should go through the process. <laughs> I can be victimized twice because right. there's no way for anyone else to know. Right. If I just shot that guy. Right. So, well, even in your own house, you said the window was broken out, right? Well, whatever. Like, it, if I'm in my home, I have a lot more rights than anyone else, right? In my own home. Because it's, I it's my home. And so that's evidence right there. Well, I guess. Whereas if I'm found dead in somebody else's home. And that's all the evidence there is. Well, shit, that's, you know, yeah. the homeowner is going to tell the story because they're alive. And <laughs> Oh, right. So, like, let's say that you, some... I'm talking about two dudes in an alley and one of them's dead and there's two guns on the ground or whatever. Oh, right. But it would be weird for the remaining person who actually did do self-defense to call the cops 
Whereas if maybe no, if it was self defense, he would call the cops, right? Oh, right. Well, that's anyway, what I'm or vice versa, yeah, or the, he's lying, and or then he he stays there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and investigate. I guess my overall point is is that even in your house, the police still should give the same level of scrutiny, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's they, say they should look they, into they broke the window out, right? But yeah. the cops go look at it, and all the glass is on the outside. Like you just busted out the window to cover up a murder. Yeah, right? yeah. The, and what's the, your relationship to that person? Oh, you used to be business partners. Oh, he was <laughs> right. sleeping with your ex-wife. Oh, <laughs> like oh, right. he owes you three million dollars. Oh, really? So, in other words, I agree that the cops should give an honest evaluation. Uh, but what I disagree with is that we shouldn't be victimizing people that were a victim. And I could see why they would try to introduce a law like that in order to avoid that. I'm not trying to say the law is the right thing. Um, what I am trying to say is is that I don't think that um, uh, people act like going to court isn't a punishment in and of itself. Yeah. The fact is I have a right to have my family, my house safe, and I don't need to go to court to have that safety, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is – so. So I could see like why it would be weird for them to do that. It's probably just some dumb new lawmaker or whatever, but at the end of the day, it didn't pass. Yeah, well, not, yeah. not this time, so we'll see yeah. what happens next time. It <laughs> yeah, and, and that is weird. I, I do I do think uh, we kind of live in a, a weird world right now where everybody thinks that everything's an emergency and everything's all jacked up or whatever. But All right, so we're, we're knocking on two hours. Um, yeah. Should we – do we have other stuff we want to cover oh, for this one? or No. I guess what did we conclude? I guess we kind of both conclude that standard, both standard ground laws and the duty to retreat don't really do anything criminally. And that's really the only thing we've ever been able to find, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. Where do we disagree? Um, do you agree with your dad when he says that it's a license to kill standard ground laws? I uh, Legally, I don't – well, it, it would depend on the law. Right. So I'd have to read the law, mm-hmm. but the Florida law that I read, which was based on that YouTube, like the, the exact law that he cited in that YouTube video talking about Florida stand your ground. And I went and read it and I don't think legally, but, but I understand the sentiment. Right. So, and I am concerned about the sentiment and the sentiment of duty to retreat, I think is important psychologically, which I said before, you know, so yeah, it's, it's concerning. Like if, if we live in a society which keeps trumpeting that you have these rights to violence. 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 That leads to more violence. It seems to me. Yeah. You know, I bought a AR 15 style weapon because I was into shooting sports and they were saying that they were going to be illegal. And I'm like, Oh shit. Well, I got to buy one now then. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I ended up with one, you know, and that's the trap you fall into is they're making a lot of money off of the fear of, you know, it's, it, it, it makes me sad because I think we would be better off in a society where guns were just rare, you know? And, you can have your guns or at the shooting club. If shits hits the fan, you know, the guy at the shooting club and everybody starts taking their guns home because, you know, Russia's invading or whatever the hell. Um, but do I need them in my home? No, not right now, but it could be that tomorrow I start getting threatening phone calls from some random person that hates this podcast episode or something. (laughs) Right. I mean, I have friends who have gotten death threats 
And if I were them, I would feel safer with a gun. Um, I have never personally been in self-defense mode, right? But I have the tools to become in that mode with 10 minutes notice. So what I ask is, if you're going to rob me, call me in advance, like 10 minutes in advance, <laughs> so I can, you know, get Be the safes yeah. open, get all this shit together, <laughs> figure out where the good rounds are, you know. But but my, you know, my fear, the politically, worst case scenario, I'm afraid that... Um, we're going to have a, a, a movement of uh, crazies from the right side of the political spectrum that are going to make me feel literally threatened in my, that I have guns because of right wingers, because of, of uh, MAGA Trump white people that look like me and look like you. Um, and that sucks, you know? So you do have them because of Trump supporters? Um, no, I have them because of the um, – I, I got into them because of the shooting sports mm -hmm. stuff. But the reason – I think the most likely scenario that I would ever actually use one is that America becomes some kind of right-wing hellscape of um, of terribleness yeah. where – minorities and and you know gay people and non-binary people are really getting thrashed because characters like trump have uh pushed this just gross hate messaging which white supremacists want like white supremacists love Trump because that guy's like, you know, and I'm not saying everyone that likes Trump's a white supremacist. I am saying that every white supremacist likes Trump as far as I can tell. Um, that scares me because we have a, uh, we have millions of uh, white people in this country, which I think most of them, vast majority of people are good people in day-to-day -day life. But I am scared of the way the political system gets people fired up on misinformation making bad decisions out of you know fear or hate and divisive figures who i feel like trump is a very divisive figure who you know is uh, you know there's the good guys and the bad guys and you're with us or you're against us and we're you know we're in this massive crisis and i'm the only person who can save you i'm your personal savior and, you know do what i say that that whole mentality scares me yeah well, that's interesting i would actually say that about biden yeah however one thing i i think that we do agree it, it seems like legally both the stand your ground laws and the duty to retreat don't really have like any criminal implications they're kind of neutral but what is dangerous is the rhetoric around people's misunderstandings of them right I guess I'm not really quite sure what you would do as a solution to that, but what I would actually suggest we do as a solution to the rhetoric is to hold people accountable that do the rhetoric. And one thing that I thought was interesting was somebody posted a video in here or a, a, a story about uh, the guy that was in the parking lot and they're fighting over the parking spot. Right. And, uh, and one of the guys dies. Well, it seems like the prosecuting attorney, 
said something about stand your ground laws validated this, even though it did not validate it. It was almost like an excuse to not prosecute them. So, and then once it kind of, I don't even know why they wouldn't prosecute this guy because it, from what I understand, he literally shot an unarmed person. Right, it posed no direct that threat to him. That has nothing to do with standard grounding. He simply should not have shot the person. Right, when that district attorney or whoever it was said, "Hey, I'm not charging him because of standard ground," I thought that that was ridiculous. I think that what needs to happen is is that we don't need to go back to the duty to retreat. I think that people that are in those positions need to be honest and not do the re- rhetoric. Like that stuff that gives people an, a false impression of what standard ground is. That's the only solution that I can come up with. At the end of the day, I don't think that in and of itself those laws are licensed to kill or anything like that. I think that people just do need to have a better understanding. And I think it's the responsibility of government and government officials to educate people about that, which it almost appears like they've failed to do on both sides. It seems like the right thinks that you need standard ground laws. Right. In order to be able to defend yourself. And the left thinks that you need the duty to retreat in order to have a moral society. And to me, both extremes are wrong. That the law means nothing. Yeah. And that's what they need to say and how they need to educate people. Yeah. I mean, we're in a we're in a media landscape where everything is driven by clicks. Yeah. It's driven by. um extreme attention grabbing headlines, you know, this, and this has been true since the invention of newspapers, right? Oh, for sure. That the, you know, the newspaper business is based on getting people to read the newspaper and nothing gets people reading stuff more than fear. Mm-hmm. You know, fear is the number one trigger on human psychology to get you to do whatever it is that that person has a financial interest in for you to do. Mm-hmm. And we have a media landscape full of thousands of people that are, you know, flamethrowers, um, yeah, for sure. All they all they do is, no matter what happens in the real world, that's irrelevant. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of a oh, an outrage entrepreneur. That's the, <laughs> that's what I heard. Certain individuals make their living on outrage, right? From whatever spectrum of politics you want to come from, certain people make their money on outrage, and. um no set of facts in the real universe can ever undermine that mm-hmm. because the facts don't matter. What's actually happening in the real world doesn't matter. Everything is about making more money by stoking the fires of outrage of whoever their followers are that are supporting them financially. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a job. It's entrepreneurship. So, you know, what's actually happened doesn't matter. It's not news. It's what can I say to get people fired up today? Because that's how I make my paycheck. So yeah, I, I can get behind that. Good times. <laughs> did you did you have any closing comments that you wanted to give maybe before no, I pushed up? No, this is a disaster of an. We were all over the place, dude. Yeah, and I was. I had made no sense, and that's fine. That's typical. That's typical of Jay Flance's ignorance. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, the next one will be less of a train wreck. I promise. <laughs> not not your fault, Chris. You did great. I think your host, you know, the the podcast host, needs to be sacked. You need to be replaced. You'll have to you'll have to start hosting this podcast for me instead. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. But what, yeah, what we should do is go through uh, when when we hit these things, you know, just record one of these, and we could do them more frequently, obviously, because yeah, you know, you're a five minute commute from my couch. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks, thanks for being on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, or it's yours weird. or wherever this audio is going. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well. I feel like I need to stop being so lazy and do some more productive things with my life. So I think that we need to we need to do these more often. Talking to me is not productive, sir. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's poorly. good to have dialogue where people can actually have a debate without gouging each other's eyes out, honestly. And I think that's honest that has got to be something that's really missing from our society. In my opinion. Well, and I don't think we debated, you know, we'll have to find something where we really disagree and duke it out. But so far, I don't think we've found that thing. Yeah. Well, maybe, I don't know how many listeners that you have to your podcast. Maybe they could find something that we could duke it out. I don't even know. (laughs) Suggestions. uh, Anything about Karl Marx, I completely disagree with. Uh, Beard? His beard is magnificent. What are you talking about? You can't argue with that beard. Come yeah. on. I wonder if he ate like ramen noodles out of his beard. That'd be cool. Wow. Did they have ramen noodles? No, I'm, I'm making shit up. Really. No, I don't know. 